For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the story of Jonah, and we understand how God called him to preach to the people of Nineveh. We understand that that was not Jonah's desire for his life, and we'll be saying more about that in a couple of moments. But we know that he began to run from God's will for his life, and we know that he eventually found himself being cast into a sea, and there the Lord had prepared a great fish, which the Scripture refers to in the Gospels as a well to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in that position for three days until Jonah finally got sick of the situation he was in, and he was sick of the circumstances he was in. And then he cried out to the Lord, he said in verse number 2 of chapter 2, by a reason or because of his affliction. And as we studied last week, I asked the question, and I tried to pose the question to us, how does a person get into that kind of position in life? How is it that a person can make their lives so miserable as Jonah did for himself And the answer to that question was found in verse number 8 of chapter 2 when Jonah made this declaration, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Whenever Jonah wrote those words, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, what he was talking about and what he was referencing is this, is that in this world there are empty lies. There are, there are lies out there that have no truth to them. They have no merit to them. They have no substance to them. And yet people consider them or they observe them or they give attention to them. And so in Jonah's case, in Jonah's situation, the empty lie was this. Jonah, you can run, and Jonah, you can hide, and Jonah, you don't have to do what God has told you to do, and Jonah, you're going to be fine, and Jonah, you're going to be well, and Jonah, everything's going to be okay. Jonah, don't worry about it. You can do what you want to do, and everything's going to be good, and everything is going to be fine. And what Jonah later realized and what Jonah expressed was this. That was an empty lie. That's exactly what it was. It was a lie. It did not deliver. It did not fulfill what it said it was going to fulfill. That was an empty lie. And as as a result of observing or giving attention to that empty lie, I forsook and I departed and I I went astray from my own mercy, my own goodness, my own kindness. I I was headed in in a good path. I was headed in a good direction. But because I listened to that empty lie, Jonah admitted he was responsible for the misery he was enduring and that he was dealing with. And last week I tried to to show us that all around us there are people who listen to empty lies. The world still tells people, well, if you'll do this, you'll be happy. And if you'll do this, you'll be content. And if you'll do this, you'll know peace. And and if you do this, you'll, you'll know what it means to have true contentment. And, and the thing of it is this, whenever the world offers joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction outside of obedience to God's will, it's an empty lie. It is absolutely an empty lie, and yet people, or at person after person after person after person, they listen to the empty lies. And then they wonder why they're frustrated. They wonder why they're miserable. They wonder why they don't enjoy life. They wonder why it's constant conflict. Because you gave attention to the empty lies. There's only one way to enjoy everything that God has designed for us, and that is by walking in obedience to Him. It really is that simple. 
I'm not going to teach this morning's Sunday school lesson, but, oh, I could, and I'd enjoy it. But commitment. Not half-hearted commitment. Not in-and-out commitment. Not part-time commitment, because that's not commitment. Commitment to God's will for your life is what leads to true joy, true happiness, true contentment, true fulfillment. And whenever we don't do God's will, we're listening to an empty lie that says, well, you'll be fine. No, we won't. No, we won't. That in mind, this morning, I want us to think about something that we know to be true. Every one of us have experienced this from time to time. And there are many ways in which this has been defined or explained, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of these. I'm sure I've used this in times past, but I want us to think about it again this morning. The statement or the idea that we all know to be true is this, is that every one of us find ourselves in difficult positions from time to time. Every one of us find ourselves in hard predicaments. And because of these situations and because of these predicaments that we find ourselves in from time to time, people have tried to explain those situations or identify those situations with these one-line, you know, little statements, very quick, very, very snappy little ideas. But it, it sounds something like this. We've heard people say, we've said it ourselves, I'm in a no-win situation. I'm in a no-win situation. If I do this, I don't win. If I do this, I don't win. I am in a no-win situation. People have said it like this. Man, I'm between a rock and a hard place. If you understood the situation I was in right now, if you understood the predicament I'm facing right now, you would understand I'm between a rock and a hard place right now. There are no easy answers for this one. Or somebody might say it like this. Well, you know right now it's a catch-22. It's a catch-22. I mean, that, that's what it is. And, and whenever those of us who are familiar with that statement, whenever we hear it, we know, oh, they're, they're in a predicament right now. They're in a situation right now that isn't favorable because it's not as though there are a lot of favorable options right now for them. And, and we know that there are other ways by which to describe it that we probably ought not use at church. But, but I'm just saying there are many ways in which people define this situation they find themselves in or, or that they define the situations they have found themselves in, I am in a position where there are no easy answers. If I do this, well, I know what will happen there. And if I do this, I'm pretty sure what will happen here. I'm in a no-win situation. And those pop up from time to time in all areas of life, do they not? We have had those no-win situations with family. It doesn't matter what we do. We're going to upset someone. It's just the way it is. We're going to upset someone. So for us to think we're going to keep everyone happy this holiday season, well, we can just get that thought out of our mind. That's not going to happen. It happens at work. Well, if I do this, he's going to be mad at me. And if I do this, well, he's going to be mad at me. It happens in our friendships. It happens in relationships. It happens in church life. You name it. Situations come up and you feel like no matter what you do, you're going to be the loser in the situation. 
So sometimes here's what we do. We try to get advice and counsel from someone else. If you were in my position, what would you do? If you were in a situation like mine, what would you do? And sometimes what the person says is, man, you're in a no-win situation. Well, thank you. I was aware of that. That's why I was trying to get some help from you. Or they say something like this, man, you're between a rock and a hard place. But sometimes somebody will say something like this, listen, you've got to do what's right. You've got to do what's right. I know that if you do this, there's going to be a fallout over here. I know that if you do this, you know, it, it's not going to be easy. I understand the predicament you're in, but I just want to encourage you, do what is right and don't worry about the consequence and don't worry about the fallout. Now, this morning, as we think about that idea, as we think about that principle, I want us to think about what is going on. Jonah is in the process of making things right with the Lord in his life right now. As we are in chapter 2, and as the chapter comes to a conclusion, what is Jonah doing? He is crying out to God, and he is trying to make things right with God. So in verse number 10 it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Is that nasty to anyone else but me? That is disgusting in so many ways. You and I know what it means to vomit. You and I understand that process. As much as we cannot understand being swallowed by a well, and as much as we cannot imagine what it would be like to live in the belly of a well for three days, neither can we imagine what it would be like to be vomited by a well disgusting, nasty, awful, horrible, repulsive, but at least it was on dry land. <laughs> you got to look for the silver lining somewhere. At least I'm not out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. At least I'm not wondering where in the world I'm at. At least the Lord allowed him to be vomited out onto dry land. Now, as Jonah has been vomited out on dry land, I want us to think about this, the original call that God had on Jonah's life. Go back to chapter 1, just very quickly, chapter 1, verse number 2. The call was this, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God said to Jonah in the very beginning of all this, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, that expansive city, that, that massive city, and I want you to cry against it. This would not be a message of encouragement. This would not be a message of fluff and feel good. This was going to be a message. It was supposed to be a message of judgment and a message of God's uh, judgment on their lives in the very near future for this reason, because they were wicked and because they were ungodly. God did not prepare a message of judgment for a people who feared him and served him and worshipped him. These were wicked, ungodly people. Not only that, you may remember from the study several weeks ago, I reminded us of this. The people that, that made up the, the city of Nineveh, they were Assyrians. And the Assyrians were known to be cruel and, and ruthless individuals. And they were, very, they were very harsh in the way that they treated their enemies. And the Assyrians hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Assyrians. 
There was no love lost between these two people. And so for God to declare a message of judgment upon the Ninevites or the Assyrians of Nineveh, for the typical Jew, that would not have been something that broke their heart. That would have been something that they would have been fine with. That is something they would have been content with. And so remember this now, please. The Assyrians, they hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Assyrians. The Assyrians are mean, cruel, ruthless, harsh people. And and as, as that was the original call on God's life, we know Jonah ran from it. And yet right now at the end of chapter 2, well, Jonah's just been vomited out on dry land. So notice what it says in chapter 3, verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Well, God's about to speak one more time. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and do what? Go unto Nineveh, that great city. And preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. What did God say the second time he spoke to Jonah about God's call for his life? He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach and I want you to declare exactly what I bid you to preach. Exactly what I bid you to declare. I want you to give them a message of judgment. Now, understand, please, what's happened in the time that Jonah has been running from God. Give attention, please, to what has happened between the Jews' relationship and the Assyrians' relationship and the Assyrians' relationship with the Jews. Think about, for just a moment, what has happened in the days or weeks that Jonah has been running. Here's what's happened, best we can tell. Nothing. Nothing has changed. Meaning the Assyrians still hate the Jews and the Jews still hate the Assyrians. Meaning the Jews still know that the Assyrians are a cruel and ruthless people and they're a violent people and and, and nothing has changed in the lives of the Assyrians there in the city of Nineveh. Absolutely nothing has changed. So the Jews would still love to see God pour out His judgment and His wrath upon the people. Absolutely nothing has changed. From the human standpoint, the Assyrians have grown no warmer toward the things of God. From a human standpoint, the Assyrians have not looked to one another and said, you know, we need to change our way of life. We just don't know how to do it. In the time that Jonah has been running, and the time that Jonah has been fleeing, best we can tell, absolutely nothing in their world's landscape landscape had changed at all. And what is God's word to Jonah the second time? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now we'll see this more in a couple of weeks, but I just want to let you know right now, Jonah is no more excited about going this time than he was the first time. 
So it's not like Jonah said, well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for calling me and giving me a second chance. I, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to restore myself and make things right. And God, you know I'm headed there now with a good heart and a good spirit and a good attitude. Listen, that is not Jonah's spirit and his attitude at all. But here is God speaking to Jonah, who has been rebellious, but has been in the process of trying to make things right with him. And God says, okay, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. Head to Nineveh. And I want you to preach that message of judgment. And I want you to preach what I tell you to preach. And, and if you look at the end of verse number 3, the message is going to be this. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now Jonah doesn't want to go. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah hates the idea of going to Nineveh. And from our perspective, he has many valid reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. You and I would not fault him for not wanting to go to Nineveh. So here stands Jonah trying to be faithful and obedient to God's will for his life. But here's God's will for his life. Go to Nineveh. But God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm fine if you destroy them. Follow this. This is one direction Jonah can go. Or he can run. He can rebel. He can flee. Where did that land him the last time? It landed him in a ship on troubled waters. It landed him overboard, swallowed by a well. For three days, the weeds wrapped about his head, and he went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. He remembers where he just came from. What it must have felt like for the, the, the muscles of that well stomach to begin contracting, to begin vomiting him out on that dry land. Listen, Jonah knows everything he just experienced in the last 72 hours. And so here is Jonah, and he is standing before God, and one option is, okay, I can run. I know how that went. Or I can obey, and I've got to go to people who hate me, and I've got to preach a message of judgment, and I've got to preach a message of God's wrath. Those are my two options. I would say, from a human perspective, Jonah was between a rock and a hard place. Jonah was in what he might call a catch-22 or in this no situation. Well, good night. If I obey, I've got to go to Nineveh, and I've got to preach to people who I hate, who I really don't care if they're destroyed, and they hate me, and who knows what they're going to respond with by way of the message I'm about to preach. And if I run from God, I'm just going to end up in another well's belly. Well, this stinks. Well, literally, it did, but... Uh, this is pitiful. You're right, it is, Jonah. But it's the position you're in. So what did Jonah do? Well, in verse number 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. What does this mean? It means this. It means that Jonah did the right thing. Even though that's not necessarily what Jonah wanted to do. Jonah did the right thing even though that wasn't the the greatest alternative. Jonah did the right thing even though that wasn't the easiest thing in his predicament. Jonah, at least in this moment, said, you know what? Based upon the position I'm in, I can either run from God in rebellion once more, but I know where that takes me, so the best thing to do right now would be this. Just go ahead and obey even though I don't want to even though I don't even care about doing right right now, it would be better for me to just do what God has told me to do than to suffer the consequences that I know God is able to do in my life if I run from his will. Now this morning, we're going to enter into some familiar territory and some things that we have visited recently by way of thoughts and ideas, but I want us to, to end up somewhere different, okay? So don't, don't get relaxed and say, oh, man, we've been talking about this several times the last few weeks. Stay with it, okay? We're, we're headed somewhere. The last several messages, something that's come up at least a couple of times is this. Every one of us in our Christian life gets sidetracked from time to time. Every one of us in our Christian life knows what it is like to sway and to swerve and to step away from God's will for our life. We do. I don't expect big hearty amens right now, but I would expect some kind of like, yep, been there. Every one of us have strayed and every one of us have have gone from God's will in our life because we have observed the lying vanities. We have begun listening to the empty lies and we have assumed that everything would be okay if we just went ahead and did our own thing and ignored the will of God for our life. Every one of us have been guilty of this. For someone to stand and suggest, well, I've never strayed, I've never wandered, I've never run from God's will in, their li- in, my, in my life, I would say this, that that's not an honest person. Because every one of us have struggles with the flesh when it comes to God's will for our life. And so we all know what it's like to run, we all know what it's like to rebel, and we all know the misery that comes with our rebellion. See, my testimony would be this, and your testimony would be such, if if you were honest, it would sound something like this. When I ran from God, it did not take me any place favorable. Whenever I've run from God, it it never took me someplace I wanted to stay. Whenever I have run from God, it has always made my life miserable. Disobedience to God's will does that. It does it. So when we've gone astray and when we've backslidden in our walk with God, whenever, whenever we've rebelled and we've run, what have we done at so many times in our life? We've begun to cry out to God. 
In the midst of our affliction, we began to cry out to God and we began to confess some things and we began to admit some things and we began to repent and we began to say, God, I'm sorry for this and God, I'm sorry for this and God, I'm sorry for this and, and God, I'm sorry for this. And, and, and every one of us knows what it's like to be vomited out, so to speak. All right, here's your deliverance. Here's your deliverance. Here's your deliverance. Just think about your personal circumstance, your personal life right now. Whenever you got right with God, Whenever you began to say, God, I'm tired of running, and God, I'm tired of the affliction, and God, I'm tired of all the misery. Whenever you started making things right with God and God restored you, did God then begin consulting you on what you wanted out of the rest of your life? No. So I don't even know what you mean by that. I mean this. So whenever you got right with God, did God say, okay, now, Kyle, what, what are you wanting to do? Well, let's take a few minutes, Kyle, and let, let me write some notes. Kyle, what, what do you want to do in life now? It's not how it's worked for me. And it's probably not how it's worked for you, meaning we've run, we've rebelled, and we've made our lives miserable, and so we finally cry out to God, and we get restored, and, and okay, we're standing on dry land, dry land again, and it's like, Oh, this feels good to, to be in the center of the Lord's will again. And then the Lord speaks and says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. You want me to do that? You want me to do that? God, that's not what I want to do. Oh, I know. But we've not been worried about that. Well, let me rephrase that. I've not been worried about that. You've been worried about it, but I've not been worried about that. See, I have a plan for your life. I have a will for your life. I have a desire for your life. And so it doesn't matter that you got right with God. It doesn't mean that everything's easy now and everything goes according to your plans and according to your desires. No, God still has a plan and God still has a direction He wants your life to take. The same would be true of me. And here is what we've got to remember. We have got to remember this. Many times God is still going to tell us to do things we don't want to do. I don't like the sound of that. I don't know what else to tell you. But the testimony of every honest believer is this, is that over and over and over and over again, God requires of us to do things that our flesh does not want to do. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. I know it certainly happened to me more than once. But I have felt like in serving the Lord, I'm in a no-win situation. I don't know if people should admit that out loud, but that's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> God, I don't want to do that. I didn't ask. Well, God, I don't want to live that way. Didn't ask. 
God, all the other families get to do this. And they're not serving me. Well, God, they get to spend their money this way. Yeah, and that's... Listen, that'll run its course and uh, maybe why they're broke or it may be that when because of this, that when they get to heaven, they'll have no eternal rewards or, or something of that nature. Uh, let's not worry about them. This is me talking to you. This is my will for your life. Kyle, here's what I want you to do. Christian, the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. I don't want to do that. Okay, I understand. Look at your other option. Uh, I can run. Yeah, you can. You can run and you can run and you can run and you can run. But as you run, hey, don't forget where it led you to last time. See, the last time you ran, ran it, it led you eventually to crying out to me. Remember that? See, the last time you ran, yeah, it was fun for a while, but it got real old, and that's why you eventually cried out to me, and that's why I was able to restore you because you finally humbled yourself. But, but see, the reality for every one of us is this. Uh, running from God is really not a good option. And sometimes yielding to God from our flesh's perspective, it's not a good option. But we've got to ask ourselves this question. Well, which would be best? Which would be best? Well, the best option would be this. Obey God even when you don't want to. Amen. Obey God even when nothing about the situation says, do it. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. Maybe, again, we shouldn't talk about this out loud. We should just act like this isn't a struggle of ours. But I know for myself, sometimes I have obeyed God, not because I cared one thing about obedience, but I was just more afraid of the consequences if I disobeyed. God, I want to quit. God, I'm sick of it. I just want to quit. Kyle, you've got three kids who are watching. That scares me to death. Okay, I guess I'll keep going. I just want you to know, though, for the record, just, just want you to know, I don't want to. But that's better than to quit than the consequences that may take place in my life. See, every one of us are going to have those moments where the Lord is going to speak and the Lord is going to say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. And these are your two options. Either you obey or you find yourself in the belly of the well once more. Okay, I guess I'll obey. I guess I'll just do what is right, even though I don't want to. Sometimes reluctant 
obedience. Well, let me just rephrase that. Reluctant obedience is always better than disobedience. It just is. And this morning, I know we're at church. I know we've all got our church clothes on. We've all got our church appearance in place. I know that. I know that we all know how to sing and to say amen and to, and to greet the preacher on the way out in just a couple of minutes and to smile and to act like everything's good. We know how to do it, don't we? Sure we do, because I've done it countless times. The number of times I've looked at you all and just said the right things, and in my heart you're going, I don't want to do this. This is, this is dumb. I'm tired of it. I, this is ridiculous. Listen, we know how to do it. Here's what I wonder. If there are people right now in their walk with God and they feel like they are in that difficult circumstance, they are in that difficult predicament, they feel like right now they are in a no-win situation. If I do what God wants me to do right now, I know this is what's going to happen. But I know what happened the last time I ran. I know God wants me to do this right now. My flesh does not want to do that. Man, my, my, heart, my heart's not even in that. That's not even what I'm remotely interested in. And yet I know this is what God is telling me to do. I know without a doubt that is what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to do it. I understand, but you've got to remember what happens every time we run. See, and here's what I fully believe. I believe that there, listen please, I believe there are people in this church who are wrestling with what do I do? Do I just commit to live in obedience and do I just commit to do what the Lord has told me to do even though that's not what I want to do or do I take off running again? Can I give us some words of advice that I have to give myself from time to time? Just obey. And just do what God tells you to do. Please listen. Just obey. And do what God tells you to do. Because I can promise you the obedience will be far better for us in the future and the consequence of the disobedience. And you may leave here this morning somewhat frustrated and somewhat dejected that you're going to obey. Trust me, I get it. But I promise you, the obedience is still better than disobedience, no matter how much our flesh fights against it. So you're struggling. You're wrestling with God. You're fighting the whole process. I know it happens. Jonah shows us that it happens, and every one of us, we're examples of it. But don't wrestle the Lord in this one. Don't fight the Lord in this one. Just yield and do what he tells you to do, and you'll be better off for it in the future if you stick with it. Okay? Jonah's life is a testimony of this. You've got to stick with it. Jonah didn't. We'll see that in a few weeks. 
but you got to stick with the obedience if you want the obedience to pay off in the future. All right? So I'll stand this morning for a word of prayer. Father, I come to you this morning uh, recognizing that there is an internal battle that takes place in the heart and mind of every person from time to time.